Hey, it's Jeff Semple filling in for Alan Carter this week. Here's what's on the podcast today. When does school start for TDSB students? The Prime Minister is proroguing Parliament and how to pick the right mask for your child. All that coming up. Let's get to it. I've been saying over the past few weeks, actually, while sitting in this chair, that this is typically sort of the slowest, quietest news month of the news weeks of the year, right? Those of us in this business who, you know, require to fill airtime on the radio and on TV every week. This is, you know, mid-August can be pretty tough, but uh, not this year, of course, with the pandemic. And as you heard, the news there off the top, um, you know, the latest going on in Ottawa with uh, Justin Trudeau proroguing Parliament, these documents out today, thousands of them pertaining to the We Charity investigation. And of course, the top story on many minds of parents is back to school and exactly what that will look like And when that will happen. Now, technically, according to the Toronto District School Board website, the start date for school is just under three weeks from now, September the 8th. But we have now heard from the Toronto District School Board's Interim Director of Education, Carlene Jackson, who said yesterday that barring a miracle... It is very unlikely that thousands of students at the TTSB will be heading back to school on September 8th as scheduled. And you can sort of just hear the jaws of parents across the city hitting the floor, thinking, oh my gosh, you know, so not only not sure exactly what school will look like, but when remains an open question. And to talk about this, let's jump right in. We're joined on the line by a TTSB trustee, Robin Pilkey. Thanks so much for joining us here on Global News Radio. Thank you for having me, Jeff. That's very nice of you. And so I really appreciate you taking the time. And of course, parents wanting to know the question now about the start date, which now appears to be, you know, very much a question mark. I mean, is school starting on September the 8th? So basically, uh, the province has said we can do a staggered start, but that every student needs to be in within the first two weeks. So what would likely, uh, I mean, staff are still working this out, uh, but they would, um, as as the interim director said, but what will likely happen is some students will start to come back and we'll stagger them in over a two-week period. So we're not talking that it'll be October and your kid isn't back in school, but they may start, you know, if they don't get in the first week, they may get in the second week. And, you know, how they do, how that's going to be done is still being worked out. It's possible that it might be done, for example, that certain grades would come back first and then they'll bring people back that way. So uh, when we talk about not starting on September 8th, we're also not saying that we're not going to start for months on end. It'll be within the first couple of weeks, I would imagine. That seems to be what the information the province has said in staggering it, that we need to be within two weeks. Right. Well, hopefully that offers some relief that we're not talking about going back in like November. Do you, though, in terms of, but in terms of, I mean, obviously we're less than three weeks away, right? As I said, so, Mm -hmm. I mean, when can parents expect to find out their start Uh, date? I mean, even if they are different. Uh, I think it will be in the next few weeks. Uh, it won't be on Monday, but um, and as staff continue to work on this, we need to figure that out. Uh, this information was only decided, you know, this won't, information was only provided last week by the province. Again, a lot of these um, decisions have been coming in kind of in dribs and drabs, uh, and we are having to react every time that happens. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to adjust the plan again uh, as we do that and figure out what the best way to do this is. Um, and parents will be informed, but it, unfortunately, it won't be in five minutes. Right. Uh, so stay tuned to Global News Radio uh, indefinitely. Yeah. Really, <laughs> I think <laughs> we're talking to TDS. <laughs> sorry, we're talking to TDSB uh, trustee Robin Pilkey. So, and I guess you know, sort of the natural question is why not just start on September eighth as planned, Robin? Uh, because we're still looking at. Um, we've had to make some changes to our secondary plan again. 
so that has required a little bit more time as well. Um, we are trying to figure out uh, trustees with staff tomorrow. Uh, we are meeting again to determine if we are if we have funds available to hire additional teachers to reduce class sizes at least uh, in the areas of the city that are in COVID hotspots, um, which is right now the priority. Uh, so some of that decision making will only happen tomorrow. Uh, there are some options that the that uh, staff have provided to trustees because it will require some deficit funding to do that. And um, uh, we have to make those decisions tomorrow. So once we do that, then there's some hiring that has to be done and things like that. And schedules will have to be uh, reallocated. There's a large logistics, as you can imagine, as you try to do this. Yeah, no kidding. Not to mention, you know, all the actual, you know, physical changes that are going to be made to the classroom. We talk about ventilation mm-hmm. and all of that. Yeah. Uh, but you, you mentioned class sizes. Of course, that has, I think, been the key concern for a lot of parents. Absolutely. Uh, we know the, sure the province... Was. Yeah, and the province, of course, rejected the proposal from the TDSB last week, asking for more money to hire more teachers to reduce class sizes. So what should parents expect? Uh, Well, I think that um, parents will be hearing from their principals, and then if they haven't already, uh, about some of the changes that will happen in the school. I mean, social distancing as best we can. Uh, The board is recommending that all students wear masks, not just students from grades, uh, grades 4 to 12. Uh, to, because in, in especially in the lower grades, social distancing, um, as we would like, is probably not going to be possible. So this is kind of to, to mitigate that in a way. Um, so some of that will be coming through. Um, there'll be, uh, but mostly a lot of the local decisions will start to happen now as people return, as staff members return to school as well. Um, about uh, what it will look like in individual classrooms, and um, as soon as that information is available, I know principals will be sharing that with parents. TTSB trustee Robin Pilkey, thanks so much for joining us here on Global News Radio. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Lots of unanswered questions and lingering uncertainty here now, even less than three weeks to go before the start of the school date. Um, And, you know, speaking of uncertainty, (laughs) uh, there were for, you know, around this time last year, a lot of questions, as you heard in the news, about what exactly happened the day after the Raptors won their first NBA championship back in June. Uh, As I mentioned off the top, my day job, typically as a senior correspondent for Global National News based in Toronto, before last year I've been based in was based in London, England for several years. Love my job. And, you know, part of the, one of the great perks about it is getting to travel around and cover news as it's happening all over the place. Been more than, been to more than 30 countries around the world and had a blast doing it most of the time. But I think probably a career highlight for me, one of the best assignments I've ever gotten, certainly the most fun I've ever had while at work, was back on June 13th when I was sent to Oakland with my cameraman, Nick Vyshaft, to cover game six of the NBA finals, the Raptors versus the Golden State, right? Remember that? And uh, man, was that (laughs) a surreal experience. And probably the highlight of that was getting to party in the dressing room afterwards with the team. And it was just totally surreal uh, watching these giants pour champagne all over themselves. Uh, At one point, Norman Powell, one of the Raptor stars, grabbed my Global News microphone and started singing, We Are the Champions. Uh, it was just totally surreal, uh, and I've count myself very, very lucky to be in that dressing room, and I will be for the rest of my career despised by most of my colleagues in the Global News Toronto newsroom for getting that opportunity. Uh, one of the people we interviewed in that dressing room uh, after the win was the team president, Masai Ujiri. 
who, you know, built that championship team and talked about wanting to build a dynasty here in Toronto. And, of course, the Raps will be in action in about an hour from now, hoping to win game two of their opening series of these playoffs. Um, so it was, an you know, an unbelievable high, right? And then woke up the next morning to the rain on the Raptors parade, the news that police were investigating Masai Ujiri for allegedly assaulting a sheriff's deputy who stopped him from trying to get on the court to celebrate with his team after the victory. Now, the police said at the time that Masai didn't show his proper credentials and that he had allegedly assaulted one of their officers. Now, I drove to the local police station in Oakland after hearing that news, and I interviewed Sergeant J.D. Nelson at the time, and here's what he told me. Our deputy was stationed down there, and he got approached by a person whom he didn't know that did not have their credential. And when he went to stop that person, a shoving match ensued, uh, which left the deputy ultimately getting struck in the jaw with a, a palm, basically. Struck in the jaw with a palm, basically. And, of course, implying strongly there that that was Masai who struck the officer with the palm of his hand. Now, eventually police, you know, didn't decided to drop the charges. They didn't move forward in that case, but the officer Strickland did move forward with a civil suit that was filed on February 10th of this year seeking 75,000 US dollars in damages uh, after he said that he suffered an injury to his head, body, health, strength, nervous system and person all of which quote caused and continue to cause great mental, physical, emotional and psychological pain and suffering. Huh. Well, Good thing for body camera videos is all I've got to say. As you heard it in the news there, this video has now been released. And it seems that unlike Oakland police, video doesn't lie. Have a listen. There you have it. Now, hard to see, or hard to, obviously hard to hear and impossible to see on the radio, but I've tweeted it out at Jeff Semple GN. You've probably seen it already, and the video, pretty clear cut, shows that Masai Ujiri was actually the recipient of not one, but two shoves, pushes from the deputy uh, as he tried to get onto the court, despite the fact that he then identified himself as the president of the Raptors. So, you know, hopefully that is the end of this. And the Raptors released a statement today saying that we are mindful that this remains before the courts, but we have always maintained that the claims made against Messiah are baseless and entirely without merit. And we believe this video evidence shows exactly that. Got to say, I know we've been talking a lot about body cameras in this city. The Toronto Police Services Board actually just gave the go-ahead for the city to go and purchase more than 2,000 body-worn cameras. Some officers in this city will start wearing those cameras this month, in fact, over the next couple of weeks. And if you needed one more example of why they're valuable... There's one right there. Masai Ujiri uh, appears to have been the innocent uh, party in that one. Um, and as we say, you know, videos don't lie, even if Oakland police officers do. Over the last couple of days, for especially for political junkies, but, you know, even if you don't, don't closely follow politics, but kind of pay attention in the periphery, man, there has been a lot to talk about. Probably a month's worth of news, at least in just the last couple of days. In just about 48 hours, we've had Bill Morneau, the federal finance minister, a surprise resignation. Krista Freeland stepping in to become the country's first female finance minister. Now we've had Parliament prorogued until September 23rd, and now thousands of pages of newly released documents came out late yesterday to members of the House of Commons Finance Committee 
on the orders of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau pertaining to the We Charity controversy. Uh, a lot to unpack, and to help us do it, we are joined on the line by a member of that House of Calman's Finance Committee, the finance critic for the Conservative Party of Canada, Pierre Polyev. Thanks so much for joining us here on Global News Radio. Great to be with you. So I was watching you on TV uh, a couple of hours ago, holding up some of these uh, documents that have just been released. A lot of black ink by the looks of things. Yes, uh, it looks like a cover-up, that's for sure. The government had promised us these famous 5,000 documents that we were going to see that would shed all the light on uh, Prime Minister's wee scandal. But uh, when we finally opened the, the documents, some of the most, what would appear to be the most interesting revelations are covered by black ink blackouts. We can't read them uh, and we can't see them. That's why we wanted to convene our committees to uh, unredact these documents so that we could see what's hidden there. But of course, we can't do that either because the prime minister has shut down parliament. So all those committees are frozen and cannot resume until the fall. So there's definitely a cover up here. And the prime minister is obviously worried about what might come out if Canadians have a chance to see with their own eyes. Right. But certainly, in fairness, we've heard from the Prime Minister's office that obviously the blacked out portions are on legal advice to prevent breaches of cabinet confidence, personal privacy. Sure, sure. (laughs) But from the. Anybody who's dealt with this government knows that they make all of those same excuses whenever there's uh, uh, sensitive and scandalous information they want to cover it up. They say it's personal, Uh, they say that it will somehow imperil national security. Um, in fact, we know that the real reason is that they don't want Canadians to know the truth. Uh, and if they were just uh, uh, innocent uh, blackouts, they could allow a few parliamentarians just to swear an oath and look at them uh, in a uh, private room just to con- confirm, in fact, that they are blacked out appropriately. But they've not done that. They've shut it all down. But, you know, there are some revelations that weren't blacked out. But for one, uh, some senior bureaucrats said that the prime minister's office was uh, was directing the bureaucrats on weighing in uh, to, on how to, to create this half-billion-dollar grant to an organization that had paid the prime minister's family a half a million dollars. There's also a briefing note about the program that was in the hands of the prime minister's office the day before it went to cabinet. And, and that note specifically has pictures of the prime minister's wife and mother uh, who uh, are reminding the prime minister's team that Trudeau's family has been involved in getting uh, payments from the organization uh, and that they work for the organization. Uh, So obviously the prime minister's office and Trudeau himself have their fingers all over this scandal. And that's why he shut down parliament to stop all the investigations. So you mentioned him shutting down parliament. We know you've been, you and your colleagues in the conservative caucus have been very critical of the decision to prorogue parliament until mid September. Um, But, you know, surely, I mean, this is obviously the timing is questionable, but yeah, I know you were a member of the Stephen Harper government and Stephen Harper loved to prorogue Parliament 2007, 2008, 2010. Uh, the 20, 2008 one was, of course, particularly controversial because he was trying to basically outmaneuver the opposition's attempt to unseat him and form a coalition government against him. So, you know, is it really fair to be condemning this decision to prorogue Parliament for about a month? Well, there's no problem with proroguing, but if the prime minister just wants the wants to introduce a new throne speech and reset parliament, he could have announced the prorogation the day before we came back, and that would have allowed parliamentary committees to continue doing their work 
right through until late September. It would have allowed us to continue to get sworn testimony from witnesses uh, uh, into the we scandal. But instead, the prime minister, by proroguing now, has effectively shut down all of those investigations. They all could have gone on with ease and without trouble uh, had he not done what he did yesterday. But of course, uh, that uh, would have, uh, his purpose was to cover up, and that's why he shut, shut the thing down. Right. And obviously, for anyone listening at home, proroguing is basically, I think, just a fancy word for shutting down, right? Parliament, uh, basically hitting pause on Parliament and all of the parliamentary committees, as you mentioned, a few of them that were proving problematic for the for the prime minister. Uh, but if, if you're so upset about this, I mean, you know, how why not just call an election when when, we, when things get do get back uh, in September? Well, I don't have that power, nor does the Conservative Party. Uh, but uh, what we want to ensure is that Canadians have the truth and the full truth about the Wee scandal before they vote. Uh, and uh, so far, that's not been possible because Trudeau is covering up. I think he'd like, actually, to force a quick uh, snap election before the truth comes out about his personal involvement in this scandal. Uh, and that's why he's sort of rushing headlong towards a September confidence vote. Right, and if it comes to a confidence vote, I mean, as you as you noted rightly, obviously it's not you know it's in a, the Conservative Party in and of themselves or Pierre Polyev can't hit a but- pull a switch and call an election. But you know we've heard from the Bloc Quebecois, um, you know if it does come to that, will, will you be wanting an election? Do you want Canadians to have uh, have a say on what they've heard and seen from this government? I think once we Canadians have had a chance to find the full truth about this the scandal where you know, Trudeau personally intervened to get a half-billion-dollar grant to a group that had paid a half-million dollars to his family. Once Canadians have all those details, then they'll be better equipped to make a, an election decision, decide how to vote. But I, I, what I don't want is for the Prime Minister to sneak in an election before the truth comes out uh, in order to try and uh, win under a false pretense. So let's get the truth out to Canadians. There's no panic, uh, unless someone's got something to hide. They don't need to go sprinting off to the polls any more quickly than necessary. Pierre Polyev, Conservative MP and Conservative Finance Critic, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time. Great to be with you. Take care. Talk soon. Enjoy a bit of a break from Parliament. (laughs) Make the best of a bad situation. I'm sure we will Uh, be hearing from Mr. Polyev and his colleagues uh, very often in the days ahead as they continue to push for answers to, you know, some of the unanswered questions as it pertains to the We Charity controversy. Of course, a lot of questions about the timing of Bill Morneau's resignation. And, you know, right now, our colleagues here at Global News are delving through those thousands of documents that were just released late yesterday looking for revelations. Uh, hoping to be joined on the line here shortly to talk a little bit more about all of that and try and make sense of that with some analysis from Nelson Wiseman, who is on the line. He's a professor of political science at the University of Toronto. Nelson Wiseman, thanks so much for joining us here on Global News Radio. Thank you, Jeff. I'm not sure if you caught any of our conversation with uh, Mr. Polyev there but, or his press conference a little bit earlier. Uh, but can I ask you about these documents first and what you make of what you've heard and read from them? Well, I think they support uh, the prime minister's position for the most part, although I think what's missing is testimony from people in the prime minister's office. I believe that there were phone calls between people in the Prime Minister's office and the We Charity. Indeed, I think Katie Telford had pointed that out. And that tells me that there was a uh, 
a political preference or a, or a comfort politically dealing with the WE organization. Um, so uh, on the whole, though, I think the government comes out better on these documents than I assumed they would. Now, I didn't catch your... I, I caught your, your discussion with Pierre Polyev, but I, I couldn't hear anything he said. I was blocked out of that, and I'm interested, and I thought your points were excellent about the Conservatives using a prorogation to avoid political execution back in 2008. So I think it's sort of hard for them to cry now that uh, prorogation is being misused, although it is being misused, but they are, they are the... Uh, well, they were initiators of this. In fact, what they did had had never happened in any Commonwealth parliamentary system. Right, and uh, but I mean that that sort of hypocrisy, as you describe it, aside, do you what do you make of this move politically by Justin Trudeau to prorogue Parliament? I mean, I, you know, it's the timing of it obviously stinks. Well, I think. Um, I look at the polls. All the politicians look at the polls. I don't know what Polyev said about bringing down the government, but I'm sure he he didn't. He wasn't enthusiastic about it. No, he wasn't. The most recent poll I saw two days ago had the Liberals at 41 percent, the Conservatives at 29. Well, think back to last year's election. The Liberals formed a government with 33 percent. If we had an election now in the autumn. Based on these numbers, the, the Liberals would win an overwhelming majority and the Conservatives would be decimated. So we're not going to have an election. In fact, I don't believe we're going to have an election until 2022 for a, a whole variety of reasons. The history is that our, our minority governments generally last 18 to 24 months. The last Harper government minority actually lasted longer, and four out of our last six elections have resulted in minorities. People don't want to go to the polls every year. In fact, anybody who triggered a, an election now would really be blamed. The, the other thing, one of the things the liberals have going for them is that the pandemic is absorbing so much of the oxygen, and it's also summer. So in summer, people aren't generally as tuned into politics, but also the pandemic pandemic is just taking up so much of the attention, uh, reasonably so. So the last thing people want to do is go troop off to the polls. Nelson Wiseman, a professor of political science at the University of Toronto. Thanks so much for joining us here. Really always appreciate your perspective. Thank you. Spare a thought, if you would, this afternoon for the latest case of COVID-19 in the GTA. This poor guy is not only feeling sick right now, but he's probably not getting a ton of sympathy from his wife. And that is because this person who has tested positive for COVID-19 is suspected of contracting the virus from a downtown Toronto strip club, uh, the Brass Rail. Uh, 701 Young Street, uh, in case you were interested, uh, had one of its employees test positive for the virus earlier this month. So Toronto Public Health officials then contacted around 550 others, employees and attendees, who had given their contact information as required when they entered the establishment. So that's about 550 pretty awkward phone calls, uh, especially if the person who attended the strip club didn't get to the phone first. <laughs> uh, anyway, of course, we wish them all well, uh, fast, speedy recovery. Um, and an important reminder to always wear a mask, even if you're not wearing anything else. 
Speaking of masks, uh, on a more serious note, of course, all of this is serious, but particularly serious uh, when it comes to kids going back to school, uh, how best to protect them, to protect others from them, and to control the spread of COVID-19. The question of, you know, how to, how to choose a mask for your kid is a tough one. And so we are going to ask that question and a few others to Dr. Nisha Thampi, who's a pediatric infectious disease physician at CHEO, the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario in Ottawa. Thanks for having me. So I know you're a a doctor, a pediatric infectious disease physician, and a mother. Um, Do you think it's realistic to get, to expect that children will be able to wear masks all day, every day in school? Right. Well, you know, kids have come to expect to wear masks when indoors and when physical distancing cannot be maintained. That's been the best in the rule, so to speak, in many parts of the country. As to whether they'd be wearing it full-time in schools, I hope to see some opportunities for them to get mask breaks as we've been able to get in acute and long-term care. And I also want to make sure that we continue to advocate for other safety measures, such as smaller cohorts and physical distancing, so that we can... um, fine-tune that message for kids to wear masks all the time and re- and is essentially reinforce for them to wear a mask when physical distancing cannot be maintained, which is the message they've been hearing all summer. Right. Uh, and do you have any tips for parents trying to get kids to wear masks, get them used to wearing masks? Sure. So, you know, in the next couple of weeks, it's good to get into a routine of wearing uh, the mask uh, indoors and practice how to put it on, take it off and store it consistently. And the hand washing that has to be done before um, before putting it on and when taking it off as well. There are some excellent um, frequently asked question pages that I've seen on various public health um, sites that include general principles like avoid touching your face because we know that germs can spread from our hands to our mask or face. So, you know, ensuring that kids understand the principles about why they're wearing the mask to control their secretions and protect others in the classroom, as well as to get the technique down. Um, you know, and that's, it's going to be a continuous learning process, like, but it's good to start now. Yeah, I was literally just touching my face uh, when you said, you know, get kids to stop touching their faces. So uh, thanks for the reminder, uh, as always. Um, you know, in terms of choosing the right mask for kids, I mean, there are just a plethora of options available now, of course, online, in stores. Any tips in that regard? So we want to have a mask that's uh, comfortable, breathable, that fits well over the nose and uh, under the chin. And then, uh, you know, otherwise it's, get a design that incentivizes the kid to wear it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, it's, it's funny because I have, yeah, my, uh, my sister, um, she's engaged and her fiance has a six year old daughter. We were out visiting them. They're out in your neck of the woods in Ottawa. We were there last week for a few days and uh, she put on a mask fashion show for us, came out on the deck. We were all eating outside in the open air, trying to keep our distance. And she put on a, 
for about 10 minutes. And then we all had to vote on our favorite mask of hers, different designs, of course. Uh, But yeah, we sort of were left walking away from that thinking, actually, that in that regard, they seem to be doing a decent job, uh, my sister and her fiance, in terms of making masks kind of fun and fashionable. Um, I just got to ask you, finally, before we're out of time here, uh, Nisha Tampi, doctor and pediatric infectious disease physician at CHEO, I know, and and you are a parent as well, I believe, right? I think we've spoken before. How are you feeling about sending your kids back to school in September on a personal note? Yeah, so, you know, our decision to send our kids back to public school was anchored in our family's personal uh, risk threshold, you know, which is very individualized. And from our perspective, the kids going back to school, the kids are going back to school not because we need it, but because they do from a physical, emotional and social development perspective. And, you know, my my goal as a parent um, to make it less uncomfortable for them for them to go back to school is to ensure that we're not bringing the virus into our home, infecting the kids and having them take the virus into school. And then my goal as a physician is to support uh, public health in the schools to advocate for measures that prevent transmission in the school setting. And with those you know, twin priorities, I feel comfortable that we're working with amazing and passionate educators and administrators, parents and, and children and youth who also want to be a part of the solution and not have schools shut down because of unchecked transmission and want kids to thrive in the school environment. Talking to Dr. Nisha Tampi, who's uh, a infectious disease, disease physician at CHEO. Man, I have a hard time with your title, but uh, it's a complicated one for complicated work. Uh, Nisha, thanks so much for joining us. And I'd be remiss before I let you go if I didn't put in a plug for your video, uh, which we highlighted earlier on in the pandemic. Uh, she's put together a fantastic video of how to properly wash your hands um, to the tune of Frere Jaca, right? Uh, and kind of went viral, didn't it, earlier on in the pandemic, that video. Uh, so check it out online. I will tweet it as well at Jeff Semple, GN. Thanks so much for joining us here. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks. And that's the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch The Alan Carter Show every day starting at noon.